Um, chapter 13, uh, would somebody read verses 1 to 6? A wise son hears his father's instruction, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. From the fruit of his mouth a man eats what is good, but the desire of the treacherous is, the, is for violence. Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes, ru- comes to ruin. The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. The righteous hates falsehood, but the wicked brings shame and disgrace. Righteous guards him whose way is blameless, but sin overthrows the wicked. So, in verse 1, you know, here is a young man, and the wise young man does what? Yeah, listens to his father's discipline. Um, There's no verb in the original. The original is a wise son, his father's discipline. You know, it's just a close connection. You know, a wise son benefits from his father's discipline, needs his father's discipline, will listen to it, will apply it, uh, but the scoffer doesn't listen to rebuke. You know... And we've already been through this, more or less. Why does a scoffer not listen to rebuke? Because he's stupid. That's true. That is what we said. He's prideful. He's prideful and thinks that he doesn't need it. Yeah, he thinks he's already right. Why would he listen? (laughs) You know, humility is really helpful. And... uh, living a wise life. And then in two, what you say leads to fruit that either blesses or doesn't. You know, he says, from the fruit of a man's mouth, he enjoys good. If you speak wisely and, and in an upbuilding manner, then it benefits you. But the desire of the treacherous is violence. You know, what does the treacherous man want? He wants violence. And and he creates difficulty and and violence to himself. So uh, what you say and what you think has consequences. Verse 3, the one who guards his mouth preserves his life. The one who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. Does that sound like what we were saying earlier? You know, speech is a life and death matter. And it's better to control what you say. Guard your mouth. Just not not speak without thinking about it and saying the right thing. Reckless words, well, it's just going to lead to ruin. Self-inflicted ruin. Think about what you can do that's bad by speaking recklessly. Like making foolish promises like divulging private information that you weren't supposed to, like offending and hurting other people, and you can just keep going with that list. Think about how many things that opening wide your mouth can can ruin. Thoughts and comments through verse 3. Story. Actually, from there and before even this chapter, Mike, was talking to me a while ago about all of this. 
And he kind of explained it, because I was talking about stress. And he explained to me as this whole area is kind of like a positive and neg negative vulnerability. Like, the wise man is has a positive vulnerability because he's vulnerable to God and to his faith, and it always kind of has a positive outcome. And then the wicked man has a negative vulnerability to himself and to the world. And if you have a positive vulnerability to God, your outcome is smarter, and he kind of grants you with the... Yeah. Right. I don't know. I just kind of like that wording because I kind of think it gives it a more personable vibe. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I just like it. But it's interesting. Yeah. Well, it all depends on who we listen to, what we follow, what influences us. You know, there's, you know, when it's all said and done, how many paths are there? Two. Two. <laughs> you know, you're either. God-focused and God-impacted, or you're not, and the destinies are there. Good point. Other thoughts? Yeah. I think so. going, uh, going back to like, just kind of off the top of our, just off the tip of the tongue, um, James talked about being slow to speak, but we're being quick to listen because our wrath isn't going to produce God's righteousness. And so when we're going and we have something quick to say, we just got to take a step back and slow down. And even just in our own spiritual lives, we just got to take, just not steps back, but slow down. Because we got to realize it's not a sprint that we're running. It's going to be a marathon. And it's going to be a long and tough race. And what we say can have such an impact on others' marathon and on our own. And that, I think that's a big thing here, is just to slow down and just to think. Uh -huh. Good point. Yeah, definitely. Other thoughts? Back in verse 4 to this sluggard versus diligent. Interesting contrast. What does the soul of the sluggard do? It wants. It dreams. It longs for, but. Doesn't get anything. Dreams really don't help. Because you have to do the work. Oh, I just wish I... Go back to grades. That's pretty practical for several of you. You know, how many of you really want to get good grades? Yeah, most of you do. That's a kind of a desired thing for most of us. But... How many people just want it, but they don't do anything for it? Yeah, <laughs> same people. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't work. Same deal, you can apply it to other kinds of things. What about sports? You know, um, how do you get to be a really skilled athlete? You have to really work at it. You know, most of you guys, at least, probably some of you girls too, would like to be a really good athlete, wouldn't you? You know? But, you know, if you don't get that laying around watching TV and playing video games, you know, it may, may make you really coordinate with those thumbs, but uh, you know, any other athletic endeavor doesn't really accomplish a whole lot. It takes work to get what you're craving in any area. 
You know, somebody is reported as having said to a preacher one time, man, I'd get, give half my life to know the Bible like you do. And the preacher replied, that's probably about what it would take. You know? <laughs> There's no pill. For any worthwhile thing, you don't just pop a pill and you've got it. It takes work. The soul of the diligent is made fat. The one who really works for, he's willing to go through the process he receives. And that's just a principle about life. So we get this craving, but we don't want to work for it. And we just escape to something we like better. And we never really amount to anything. Thoughts about that one? In my American literature class, there's a sign hanging up by the clock, and it just says, work works. And I think that's so good for our spiritual life, because we have this, it's really easy to just be passive, and to accept where you're at, and to be complacent. But for me, a great example would be Peter, because he gets hated on a lot because of, I mean, he started to sink, but we don't, you take a step back and it's like, he stepped out of the boat. He had that faith to go. And then, sure, he, he denied Christ, but he was the closest one there. And then he comes back on Pentecost and delivers this gospel message, the first one that we have recorded. And then later on he says, I do not care what you're going to say. I'm going to do what God says. And just this constant fight and this constant work that we have to do. And I think that's a big key here, just to be diligent and to know work does work. Good, good principle, good motto. And then, you know, five, a righteous man and a wicked man, then six, righteousness and wickedness. You know, he deals in five with the man and six with the principles behind them. And, you know, the righteous man hates falsehood. The wicked man acts disgustingly and shamefully. What you do depends on your character, depends on who you are. What do righteous people do? They do righteous things. What do wicked people do? They do wicked things. You know, that's the way our, our character manifests itself in our behavior. And they lead to destinies. Righteousness guards the one whose way is blameless. Wickedness subverts the sinner. So, you know, start with the character that leads to the behavior that results in the destiny. You know, vintage Proverbs, when you look at that, that you will get the result from where you're going. And what, where you're going depends on who you are. If you want to change your destiny, where do you have to start? Where you at? How do you do that? Change your heart. Change who you are. Change your heart. You have to change to change your course of action to change your destiny. It's hard work. It's not superficial. Oh, I just had bad luck. I ended up in the wrong place. No. And as long as you lie to yourself about that, You'll never get anywhere better. You know, it was just—it was my parents. You know, they just really raised me wrong, and they did this and they did that. It was my friends. You know, they were really bad influence. And it was this and it was that. 
Well, I'm not saying those things haven't influenced you in some way, but uh, bottom line is you, you ended up the wrong place because you took the wrong road. You took the wrong road because you did the wrong stuff. And you did the wrong stuff because you had the wrong character, the wrong heart, the wrong attitude. You weren't who you should have been. If you want to go somewhere else, change you, which changes where you're going, which changes where you get to. That's so basic. But we don't like to take responsibility for the fact that where I ended up was a reflection of who I was and that it takes changing who I am to change that. Quit making excuses and blaming anything other than you for the destiny you're getting to. Comments and questions? In verse 3, it talks about guarding your mouth, and then in verse 6, it says, Righteousness guards. And to guard our mouth, we need to righteously guard our mouth, and so that we can be found well, the one whose way is blameless. And I just thought, it's really cool how the Proverbs, even though they're different subjects, they work together so well. You're right. They are, you know, it's kind of funny. Some of these really profound things in Proverbs are very basic, simple principles. That's what we need. Apply these basic teachings. This is what life's all about. Alright, how about 7 through 11? The wicked are overthrown and no more. No, wrong chapter, right? 7 through 11. 13, 7. Yeah, there's one who makes himself rich yet has nothing, and one who makes himself poor yet has great riches. The ransom of a man's life is, in, is his riches, but the poor does not give with you. The light of the righteous rejoices, but the lamp of the wicked will be put out. By pride comes nothing but strife, but with the well advised is wisdom. Well, gained by dishonesty will be diminished, but he who gathers by labor will increase. Yes. Verse 7. Isn't this true? Are there people who act like they're rich, but they're not? Are there people who act like the poor, they're poor, but they're not? Yeah. You can't always tell by appearance. You know, it's kind of funny how that works. But you really can't. Why would somebody... Act like they were rich, but when they weren't? To impress people, absolutely. Impress people that they're successful and all that. We think riches makes us somebody. So we'll try to put on airs, you know. We'll try to, to impress with the appearance of riches. Why would somebody try to uh, pretend to be poor when he's got great wealth? Sometimes it's right. Sometimes it's like you don't want people to not like you because you're rich. So you pretend to be poor. Or get sympathy. Get sympathy. Or humility. 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 Or keep poor people from asking for you for money. I think so. <laughs> I, I wonder about that one. <laughs> you know, keep down requests for alms. <laughs> you know, uh, maybe there's other things. But the fact, I think the point is, don't trust appearances. You know, this is kind of an observational proverb. You're not really telling you what to do here, but, but I think the lesson is, you can't always tell by looking. <laughs> you 
you know, the guy who acts like he's rich might not be in the act. Guy who acts like he's poor might have a whole, bo- whole bunch stashed away in the bank. You never know. Uh, I remember, <laughs> this is maybe beside the point, but uh, many years ago, I'm sure this person is dead by oh, many years now, there was a very old lady that I knew, and uh, she, uh, had, she lived very, very simply. She had an outhouse. She had wallpapered her home with IGA sacks. And, uh, you know, it was just uh, had very poor clothes and so forth. <laughs> but one time I was talking to her and she said, no, I don't want you to think I'm poor. She said, I go down to the bank and I get out my CD in one hand and I put it back in the other. And she had mega bucks. <laughs> she lived in absolute poverty. <laughs> you know, I'm not sure why she did that. But it was like, wow, you looked at her and you never realized she had quite a high net worth. Because she sure didn't live it. <laughs> Uh, you just never know, unless they tell you. I've heard of people with you know great big fancy homes, and whenever they have people over, they have to go rent some furniture because you know it's empty on the inside. They couldn't afford to put stuff into it. I remember one time in Brazil. Well, this might be a, another application of this. This was this was sad. It was the first time I'd been. I think the first time I'd been in a particular place. It was partic- It was rather poor area overall. And uh, I went to this one home, Christian home, for a meal. And these people hadn't been Christians real long, maybe a year or so. Went there for a meal. Now, Brazilians eat simply, especially they used to. Brazil's become more prosperous now. But it's really typical in Brazil to have rice and beans. That's pretty much what they eat, you know, all the time. Well, I went for this meal in this home. I don't know if I've ever been at a meal in somebody's home with so many different dishes. There were three meats. There were all kinds of other things. There must have been like oh, 12 or 15 different dishes. You know, it was nice food, well-cooked food, you know, whatever. But it was just like, we had a small table and a small kitchen, and it just kept going and going and going. I found out later on, during those three or four or five days I was in that place, that this lady had had to borrow money earlier that week, I presume, to be able to feed me. You know, it was really sad. It was really sad that she felt like she had to impress me. Now, I'm an American in Brazil. That's really, man, that's horrible. Because they think, you're rich, what do you need? How can we, you know, impress you or whatever? I, you know, every, every new place I go, I train them how to treat me. You know, don't feed me this stuff. Don't act like this. I want to be at home. You know, don't don't do these things. It's not. I don't want it. Um, but but you see that mentality, and I understood. I understand. I mean, I could see how you could feel that way. You know, here's somebody coming. Well, what can we do to put on our best and to do everything just you know to impress? But it was a fraud. You know. It's like, whoa, that's sad that we feel that pressure to do that. Don't do that. Be yourself. Yeah, Chris. It says that sometimes this one that pretends is the same one both ways, just depending on the situation. Is it, why is it, you know, when we're when people are bragging about their money, well, we can brag more, but when they're bragging about how poor they are, we can brag more <laughs> that way. <laughs> that's kind of funny, too, isn't it? It is. You know, you're around somebody, like, man, I don't have anything. Well, I have less. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you gotta be the best either way. <laughs> <laughs> the best or the worst. 
Yeah, I'm the poorest and the richest guy I know. <laughs> Which way are we competing today? <laughs> Good point. Look at eight. This kind of fits this. I don't know if you, you have to think about this one a little bit. The ransom of a man's life is his wealth, but the poor hears no rebuke. Now, uh, I don't know, when you think about the ransom of a man's life, you might be able to think about several things, but when I think about uh, somebody needing a ransom, what has usually happened? Yes, we have another word for that. Kidnapped. Now, if you get kidnapped, what do you hope for? Yeah, you hope somebody has got enough money or your estate has enough money or whatever to be able to pay the ransom so you can get freed. And how much are they probably going to ask for in ransom? More than you Probably depends a little bit on how much they think you have or can get. Yeah. And so, you know, riches can get you out of trouble. You know, the ransom of a man's life is his wealth. I mean, you know, if you're rich enough, you can probably pay the ransom and, and get yourself out of being kidnapped. And that's one of the, you know, uh, advantages of riches. On the other hand, the poor hears no rebuke. Ever heard of a beggar being kidnapped? <laughs> <laughs> Is there a reason why you haven't? <laughs> yeah. 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 You know, whoever blackmails a poor man, you know, I mean, who invades the slummiest house on the block to steal from it? You know, being poor has sort of an advantage. You know, if you don't have anything to lose, in some way you're more secure than the guy who has a lot to protect. You know, if you look at it that way. Um, you know, the poor don't have enough money to buy their way out of being kidnapped, but normally they don't need it. it it's really kind of an advantage. I mean, you know, for me, for example, you know, having as pretty much everybody has figured out cars that aren't worth much. The, the advantage to that is you don't have anything much to lose. You know, I don't ever lock them for a couple reasons. One is people don't usually take cars that are beat up and old. I mean, if you're going to take one, you probably take one that'd be better than that. And the second thing is, if they did, it wouldn't matter much. You know, I mean, if it's not worth much, then you haven't lost much. You know, it, it's interesting how you can think differently about different things. So you can see the advantage of being rich. You can pay the blackmail note. But you can see the advantage of being poor. You don't have anything to lose, and so nobody's probably going to try to get anything out of you. Uh, th that's an interesting way of looking at it, but I think very true. In the final analysis, then, wealth is not really maybe as much protection as it seems to be. <laughs> you know when I really had to worry about locking everything. I was in Brazil, when I lived in Brazil. I had a car about half the time I was in Brazil. It was horrible. But in Brazil, I had a car. It was, the, the, there was one time that it got, they tried to hotwire it. They didn't make it very far with it. Uh, and it was just an old beat up VW van. 
but you know, it was a car. We locked our house. And we had a very simple house, but we had a house and we were Americans. It was stressful. You were worried about what would happen. You know, when you have more relative to the people around you, you got a lot more stress. <clears throat> Anything you want to say through verse 8? Yeah, take it. You know, it's kind of reminds me of a rich young ruler. You know, and he has all this stuff, you know, and Jesus says, you know, come follow me. You know, I think a lot of times, you know, all these different things, you know, really do hold us back, you know, whether, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be evangelistic. But I mean, I think, you know, just the stuff that occupies our time, you know, whether it is, you know, like video games or, you know, cars or, you know, whatever. But I think we, you know, the you know, the more stuff we have, the more stuff we are attached to, the really the worse off we are. It's worth thinking about. The real reason you don't lock your car doors is because they don't work. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, on one of my cars, half of them I wouldn't need to because you can't open them from the outside anyway. So. <laughs> yeah. That's always an advantage. But, Ecclesiastes 7.12, I think, goes along with this, the principle you're talking about. It says, for wisdom is a defense, and money is a defense, but the excellency of knowledge is that wisdom gives life to those who have it. And uh, there's another uh, scripture in Ecclesiastes that says that money answers all things, you know, so whenever you're in a pinch, you know, medically or legally or otherwise, uh, you know, if you have the money, you can generally pay your way out of it, and and uh, be all right, but uh, the thing about wisdom is, is that it lasts. You know, money is finite, and it will it will be gone before you know it. But wisdom, if you apply it and uh, make it part of you, it will uh, have more lasting results than money. Yeah, there's no denying there are some advantages to money. And the Bible doesn't deny that. But the advantages of money are not very solid, and you see some real defects in that as well. Some real limiting factors. Saw a Best Buy ad wearing like a couple's house got broken into it, took the TV, took the couch, left the computer. You know, the thing was for like from the 1980s or something. So maybe it's time to buy a new computer. <laughs> yeah. Are they always joke in Brazil? I don't know if we have this one or not. In Brazil, they, they joke about, you know, it got broken into and the, the thief felt sorry for me and left, left something for me. <laughs> Did it take it? You know, uh, so <laughs> uh, I guess that would uh, that's the advantage of poverty. I look at nine. The light of the righteous rejoices. The lamp of the wicked goes out. There you have it. You know, it just summarizes righteous versus wicked and the result. I think that one's a good kind of motto almost. And then in ten. Through insolence comes nothing but strife, but wisdom is with those who receive counsel. Now, you know, if you are a know-it-all, arrogant kind of a person, you're going to have to be fighting and arguing all the time, because you won't listen to criticism, because you always think you know everything, and you're annoying to everybody. You know, so you take a guy who's always in a brawl, it's probably because he's insolent. Probably because he's arrogant and smart-alecky and he thinks he's got everything figured out. Wisdom is with those who receive counsel. Now, why would those who receive counsel be wiser? Because they hate counsel. 
Yeah, exactly. The counsel helps them. They learn things by listening to other people's advice. So the humble people know what they that they don't know a lot. They listen to other people, and they actually become wiser. It doesn't always take a lot of intelligence to be wise. It takes being able to get from the understanding of other people, to listen to that. Uh, you know, that, that's, that's a very helpful thing. So wisdom's with those who receive counsel because they get the wisdom from others. And then in verse 11, we go back to something we've said. Wealth obtained by fraud dwindles, but the one who gathers by labor increases it. You know, you try to get rich by these shady, underhanded schemes. What will usually happen? Doesn't work, you'll lose it. I've got a friend who when he gets in a pinch financially, which is pretty often, he goes and gambles. So he can get more money to get himself out of the pinch. You know what happens? Doesn't work. I had a guy years ago who was renting a, renting a house with an option to buy, a house I'd lived in. And, uh, you know, he was, he was telling me, so I, I'm really trying to get the money together to buy that house. I'm playing the lottery in three states. <laughs> you know, wow. You know, when you're trying to do things other than work hard to get money, it doesn't usually work. What works? The one who gathers by labor. Now, that takes longer. It's harder. But it's sure. You want to get more? Well, work harder. Take the, take the long time approach and, and it'll be a blessing to you. These other things that offer easy money, it's usually easy bankruptcy. That's usually where that ends up. It's just, you know, what does Proverbs keep telling us? There's no shortcuts. In any area, you have to do things the hard way, the, the diligent way, the disciplined way, and, and, and you build solidly. Whenever we're trying to take the shortcut, you know how shortcuts are. <laughs> they don't work very well. Comments and thoughts. Do you see the advantages and values of just studying through and thinking through things like this? Very practical principles. Who knows better than God about life? You know, you see how much God understands? He puts this well too. You know, these are some very well-stated things that make you really think and apply. I don't think Proverbs is quite like any other book in the Bible. Ecclesiastes is a little bit like it. You know, but such valuable things. And one of the things that I think, a couple of things that I, I, I want us to get out of this, besides what we're learning, is just admiring God. You know, admire how wise he was. And you see how generous he is. He's blessed us with this insight, with this wisdom, because he wanted us to be able to live our lives wisely. He gave us all the secrets. You know, we don't have to find these out for ourselves. He's already told us. It's awesome. And then, to just really motivate ourselves to study and learn more. 
to grow more. To think, this treasure, we just studied not even a chapter and a half of Proverbs. I wonder what else there is in the Bible, in Proverbs or in other books that we need. John? And you see how important it is to choose well early. When you get older, you can look back and see the wisdom and you see all the maybe mistakes you made early in life. Why not choose well early in life? Very good point. Yeah. Yeah, it's so much better. If we just, you know, if we apply these up front, you save yourself so much grief. It's just so much better. <clears throat> Other comments or thoughts? All right, well, I think we will stop here for uh, today.